Good evening, ladies and gentlemen. My name is Charles Lou, and I'm here with my wonderful co-host, Jenna Benamy. What up, Jenna? What up? How you doing? I'm good. I'm good. And you are listening to The Future of Law, a show premised on the TV show, The Men Who Built America, talking about topical issues, law, and the relation and in relation of such. Jay, it's going to be such a good show. Oh, I know. I'm pumped. Me too. So um, real quick, we'll, we'll talk about it later, but obviously I've been inundated with Forbes uh, LABC event coming up next week. Yeah. It's going to be super cool. about that. Yeah. yeah. The we'll future of hospitality. It. Yeah. Which is so relevant right now. I and mean, we'll talk about it with all the lawsuits and minimum wage. Mm-hmm. And actually we can talk to our guest about minimum wage too, even briefly. I know we got a lot to cover, but yeah. it's definitely something that she is overly qualified to discuss. Absolutely. So today's topic is the future of law and local politics with Councilwoman Janine Pierce. Welcome. Hello, hello, hello. What's up, Councilwoman? Not much. Just enjoying the great company. We're so happy to have you here. Yeah. I'm so happy to be yeah. here. Thank you guys for Such inviting a, me. Yeah, incredible progressive thinker that everybody's going to hear over the next hour. And uh, someone that really is at the forefront of, truly at the forefront of topical issues and thinking about stuff outside the box and in advance of everybody, which I always love because we'll talk about stuff with the council member and a year later it'll hit the news, which is always very cool to Hmm. think that, you know, especially as our topic is the future of, you seem to always be in the know about the future. You know, we got to be thinking forward. So, So, yeah. I'm going to jump off script here. Jenna's oh, going to no. love this. Jenna's going to lose it. No, I'm having anxiety. <laughs> no, it's kind of it's on script, but it's off script because I got to get thoughts out or I just sit and dwell on them. Mm. So there is a uh, very, very famous entrepreneur called Gary Vaynerchuk, who is an incredible entrepreneur. So what he talks about, which I always love, is he people say to him all the time, how do you stay ahead of trends? And he says, that one of his tricks, and it's not a trick now because he shares everything <laughs> with everybody, but one of his um, MOs is he jumps on the app, iTunes app, mm-hmm. and he looks at the top 100 apps and he sees what's new that no one else really is talking about. Mm. And then he goes and he explores it. And because of the fact that he's exploring it when it just breaks into the top 100, he's kind of a, a first Already adapter. Already in the know, yeah. Exactly. Mm-hmm. So he really does jump on top of a lot of stuff and has this almost prophetic ability to be ahead of the curve. Yeah. So my question is for you, we talked about stuff years ago, the first time we met and you seem to identify things that were, were truly ahead of the curve. Everything from, um, hotel housekeeping issues mm-hmm. to, um, STRs, short term rentals mm-hmm. to, uh, the women's walk, the million woman March, yeah. to all yeah. of these things that all kind of caught a lot of steam subsequently but you were ahead of it how do you do it well i think the number one thing is you got to listen you know you got to really open your ears and listen to people in the community and understand what their struggle is because in local politics we're not out there saying everything's rosy we're just going to be here and continue making everything rosy there's always something better we could be doing for our residents for our workers for businesses and so if you really take the time to sit down and talk with folks you hear what's happening and then you start brainstorming with folks about what a solution might be. Got it. So STRs, we were talking about housing crisis years ago, Yeah. hotel industry. I had the privilege of getting to know a lot of housekeepers. And so talking to them, you really hear what they're going through after they uh, received a living wage, what their next challenge was. And so we're just working together to try to find solutions. And right. then you keep talking to people. It's the power of numbers. Yeah. You know? So you're pounding the pavement. So yeah. you're your app tunes, your app store is, is door to door. It's people. Yeah. 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 Which is really cool. Yeah. It's people. You have to have those one-on-one conversations and that's where you find the heart of something that somebody's going to fight for. Right. That you're going to get a million women to march for. Right. You know, and when you have those conversations, you get your aha moment and you realize that there's a movement in front of you that you want to be a part of. Right. So the, the million woman march, you Mm -hmm. were involved with that from the first one. Yeah, we're very excited. We've, yeah. um, you know, we're down in Long Beach. So being council member in Long Beach, you have some, you know, gatherings there, but it's nothing is like being in downtown LA outside of city hall. There's right. a power in numbers that you're just, you get energized. Yeah. And so we started um, doing buses from Long Beach to LA. And this last year we had seven buses wow. and it literally was like our RSVP would get capped 
And then we would find sponsors to sponsor another bus. And it's great because the bus ride up, it's everybody sharing their stories. Yeah, it's whether so it's cool. their Me Too story, whether it's their first March story, whether it's their six-year-old on the bus with them like I had. Um, and then you build community. Mm-hmm. And then you get to talk about planning what's next. you know. And so now what's next is still trying to fight for the Equal Rights Amendment. But next year is going to be 100 years since women had the right to vote. Right. You know, and so I think that it's fascinating to look at history and how, you know, the day that Trump won, there were a lot of people that felt like they got punched in the gut. Yeah. A lot of women. And I said election night, there's two things that are going to happen that's going to be good. Women are going to get motivated and more powerful than they've ever been before. And I know that we talked about women in Congress and that's one of the issues. And two, maybe cannabis will be legalized at the federal level. It's wow. like out of anything, there'll be two good things that come out yeah. of this Trump presidency. Yeah. And, you know, you're seeing it. Yeah. And I think one is there and one is happening. Happening. Yeah. You know, the conversation's there. And so, you know, no matter how you feel about politics, whether you're, you know, a Democrat or Republican, you have to admit that whenever you have certain elections, that there can be positive, even if you're, you know, not happy. If right. you were in tears on election night, which a we're lot of people were, mm-hmm. they were, but you're right. They, it, there's never been, at least in, in my adult life, uh, more of a catalyst for change. Yeah. Right. Like Obama won. And I think we all felt this, this both, both sides of the fence, yeah. truly bipartisan. Yeah. Everybody thought this was an opportunity for change. Right. 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 But, but I think what's happened with this most recent election is truly a catalyst for change. It truly, it truly is. And I think, um, Talking about, you know, as a mother of a six-year-old, having her at the march and talking about history and like a hundred years ago, we didn't even have the right to vote more wow. or less be on, you know, at the table behind the dais in Congress. Right. You and know, and really as a hundred years, the same yeah. thing with, with the civil rights movement. Yeah. You know, while we don't have slavery, you know, we do have a certain type of economic slavery in this city, in this country. And so it's those moments that you get to be inspired and try to really talk to more people and brainstorm together and build community. So it's exciting time to be uh, in office. It's an exciting time to be working with residents, whether it's housing, whether it's women's issues. So, yeah. Okay. I saw the hand. Yes. (laughs) (laughs) So we plunged right in, but I want to backtrack a little bit and, and allow our listeners to get to know you. So tell us a little bit about you. Where did you grow up? Well, uh, I grew up in Pasadena, Texas, not mm-hmm. California, which is right outside of Houston. And I always, I will try to keep it short. I will keep it short for you mm-hmm. guys. But I always say my story is like an Oprah Winfrey story. Um, I was adopted really young. My mothers were both, mm-hmm. um, I'll just you know be honest, my mothers were both dancers in a, in a strip club at night. Wow. And my adopted mom uh, had cancer and couldn't have kids. And my biological mom was unfortunately addicted to heroin. And I had had a baby brother that was born before me that didn't make it. So I grew up knowing my mom, my mom's side of the family, my biological mom. But my adopted mom, it was kind of like I was her little sister. She struggled with her mental health. She was raped by her dad. Some crazy stuff. I know we're supposed to keep it light. Um, But it was an interesting childhood, and she was addicted to opioids. And I moved out of my mom's house whenever I was 16. So I remember that day, you know, when I called my friend and I said, get your mom, excuse me, get your mom to come over here and pick me up. I'm, I'm out, you know. But my mom taught me a lot of awesome things. You know, we were animal rights advocates when we were really young. Mm. And so I got to grow up really seeing what it's like to fight for other people and to fight for that. those that don't have a voice. And she was gay in Texas. She married an African-American guy. Like she did everything she wasn't supposed to in Pasadena, wow. Texas. And so I got to see her just be true to herself no matter what. So while it wasn't a healthy place for me to live, I am who I am because she was who she was, you know, because she was true to herself. So she, my biological <clears throat> grandmother and my biological mom uh, were both uh, killed by their husbands by the time I was 14. Oh man. And then my adopted mom committed suicide in 2009. So I was not a person that was supposed to be here. Where you are. Right. Well, not here literally or even <laughs> figuratively. Right. 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 I mean, amazing. I mean, wow. my mom often, you know, I'm, I'll be honest, I'm always true and transparent, my 13th birthday party, my mom gave me an ounce of weed for my 13th birthday. It was go party, Planned Parenthood. She Mm -hmm. took me to Planned Parenthood, you know, make sure you got what you need. And that was what I grew up with. But I... And we're not going to age you here, but this isn't 2019. (laughs) No, no, no. An ounce of weed now would be legal. (laughs) Right, right, exactly. Now it would. be safer than some other things that could be given. This was obviously a very different time and place. Right, and while I'm very pro-cannabis, having a 13-year-old smoke 
cannabis is not great for the brain. Not a good plan. <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so I am fortunate that I was surrounded by amazing people. And I met who became my husband when I was 14 and his family was very normal. And so I got to have like this normal life on the other side. Um, but I was basically raised by my grandma. My first job was a, you know, a job at a camera store. <laughs> That's my favorite That's question. question. You, just, <laughs> you just stole their question. <laughs> Ask me another question. I didn't fully answer it. No, you didn't. So, we can just pretend. Here, okay. Just pretend. So, so Janine, I'd love to know, we always ask this question. <laughs> what was your first job ever? <laughs> my first job ever was at a photography studio that did like little league photos. And it was walking distance from my house at my grandma's house. And it was a disaster because I could never show up on time. No. <laughs> never, ever, ever. And the guy was the grouchiest guy ever. But I loved photography because I had my own cameras, you know. And so I ended up going to college for photography, but I went broke. So, so but you did the whole like back room, the, the what is it? The dark room experience. My I remember first doing job that wasn't, was wasn't doing the dark room. My first job was getting the little literally kids to stand still and oh, straighten up their okay. clothes and doing the lighting and all of that. So. It wasn't too fun. It didn't last very long. No, no. You weren't a kid person at that age. I was 16. No, and I wasn't a kid person. I never thought I would have kids. Yeah. You know, I was an adopted only child that grew up in a house that really struggled. And so I always grew up going, why would I bring another child into this, you know, world? And then you have baby fever and then it's all you can think about. And now I have the most amazing little mini me in the whole freaking world. So you were telling me about <laughs> the quotes in your home. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Share with us. Yeah, I have. Um, I was telling Jenna that I have a chalkboard in my house. That's a chalkboard wall. And this is my first place I've ever had by myself because my my husband and I are separated. Mm. And so I put quotes up there and I had a quote. Uh, Integrity is choosing courage over comfort. Mm. choosing courage over comfort. And That's so a good one. Yeah. It's a good one. And it really helped me through some hard times in my transition over the last couple of years. It's like, you got to be courageous. And when you are courageous and you step into that light, instead of staying in the shadows, life changes for you. You know, and people can trust you. That's great. I feel like that's Janine all day long, right? Yeah. Just listening to her story. That's you. You embody that. Thank you. Thank you. And it's it was great to see my little girl write her own quotes, you know. And so yeah. I found this piece of paper where she was like, treat others, T-R-E-E-T, like you <laughs> want to be treated, you know. And then she wrote the integrity quote down. And so it's fun because we write all these quotes on the chalkboard and we get to have these really adult conversations, but full of love and joy at the same time. Like it's been the best thing in the, in the whole world to have this little mini me. Very cool. Yeah. It's incredible. We should do, uh, we should make sure everybody had, brings her quote on. I like that. So maybe should, favorite yeah. job and then quote, cause that was really cool and gives you a little bit of persona that you might not otherwise get. Yeah. So, I love that. It's fun. We did yesterday, my team meeting, we opened it up with everybody bring a quote, you know? And so it's funny cause you'll get a quote from Dr. Dre yeah. from, <laughs> I love it. you know, you never know what people are going to bring. Yeah. I, have, yeah. I have one. I just read from Winston Churchill and I don't want to oh, massacre it, but it was, he is literally a, a encyclopedia quote of quotes. Yeah. It's unbelievable. <laughs> yeah. One of the greatest orders of all time, but, and not to I, this certainly is not going to be perfect, but the general idea was that he has no interest in an empire that can rule the seas but can't flush its own sewers. Oh, snap. And I thought that was so oh, dope. Wow. Right? And and I think it's so relevant for what we're seeing today. And it's not just our country. It's every country. It's, yeah. it's every single country that's sitting on this um, very militaristic uh, advancement, this military growth, yeah. these military industrial complexes. And you're sitting there saying all of these countries from the United States to China to Russia, to all of these countries that are creating these massive, massive global uh, armed forces. And then we're all sitting looking for us. We look at the downtown Los Angeles uh, tent district. Yeah. Yeah. And you're, and it's such a perfect quote for that because you're saying we can't flush we can't take these sewers. Of, we can't take, we can't take. Depends care on of how them. you take that quote. So being careful to say like we can't clean up our streets that we don't have the right tools or the right yeah. infrastructure to care for our people. Yeah. yeah. The most fundamental needs of a society. Yeah. Right. Is is there and we can't do it yet. We're building these these mechanisms and machines of war and becoming so efficient at killing each other from a thousand miles away. Well, we kill each other from a thousand miles away, but here in California, we have a million people that don't have access to safe drinking water in California. That's unbelievable. A wow. million people in California don't have access to safe drinking water. I didn't know water. that. I just started this uh, fellowship program called WELL. It's Water Education for Latino Leaders. And so every month we go to a different uh, part of California and we 
go to a water recycling plant, and it's been really fascinating. But so cool. Well, a million people. Well, well, is that that's not Southern California though? That's all of California. So a lot of the um, the valley, you know, Central California, we just have these places that they the water quality is so poor, and we don't have the right infrastructure, the right pipes, the, the dollars to spend on it. Wow. You know, and it's it's heartbreaking, and that's just in California, a progressive state. That put the that often state. says that yeah. we lead with our people first, right? You know, and so when you think about Flint, Michigan, you know, mm-hmm. it's not just Flint, Michigan, right? And I think that that kind of gets into a question that we actually wanted to ask mm-hmm. is: so you bring up a really interesting point. We don't have clean drinking water, which I didn't know. Mm-hmm. Um, how how do we get clean drinking water? And I don't mean that in a, in a big, huge macro I mean, thirty thousand. Yeah. yeah, I mean that in a. Let's assume we're in a perfect world. How would something like that logistically happen? So, how would an idea or an ideology or a call to action become a yeah. law on a, a local level? Well, there right now, and I'm not versed enough in the water policy to to talk in depth about it. But I know that there is a talk about a tax measure at the state level that would allow everybody in California to pay, you know, say it's five cents, and that that five cents would go to providing first water for those that don't have access. And so it's fascinating for me to be in this space with these fellows that are council members and mayors across all of California and to have this debate where some people in the room are saying, I shouldn't have to pay for Mm -hmm. you to have water. Your city needs to pay for it. You know, and then those cities are, you know, cities where it's mainly farmers, you know, they don't have a tourism industry. They don't have, um, you know, there's lift isn't a big hot thing there. It's not a place where you have a diverse economy. Right. And so as humans, whether your network is the city of Long Beach, the county, the state, the U.S., I, I believe that we have to do what's best for everybody. You know, and so a tax measure like that that would bring healthy water and safe water to get us new pipes, you know, so if it was passed at the state level, then they would parse it out depending on where the worst water quality is. And there's a website, and again, I don't know the website off the top of my head, but you can go and put in your city and it'll tell you what your water quality is. Wow. Um, But something like that, if done the right way, and sometimes we have to let go of some local control so that we can do what's good for the greater population, you know. But it's, it's fascinating. So that would be a voter initiative, gotcha. right? And, and, so. and explain for the listeners, because I think, and we discussed this briefly, voter initiatives as it relates to cannabis. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and you've mentioned before what a powerful tool it is, but you also just mentioned something that I wasn't aware of, that there's certain limitations on how powerful a tool a voter initiative is. Yeah. So if you could take one minute and just kind of explain what that looks like for the yeah. listeners. Yeah, I mean, we're as elected leaders, we're expected to pass policy, whether it's ordinances, whether it's statements about equity or quality or paving your roads or budget, right? And those, the great thing about local cities is that you can do that and you can make changes to it. So if you pass a policy, say panic buttons is what we were talking about for housekeepers, which we just passed in Long Beach in November to allow every housekeeper to have a panic button that goes to a security guard. Which when you mentioned, I thought this is so dynamic and progressive and well thought out. And and also like a no-brainer, right? A total no-brainer. <laughs> yeah, why those, would like, what? housekeepers not be able to get someone quickly? Because you do think that's a very compromised position for someone to be in. Yeah. And that's why when you first mentioned it, I thought, well, I've never thought about that, but it seems so logical. Yeah, you have women going by themselves to a bedroom door with often people that are traveling, you know, that feel like nobody's watching. Right. And they have a very high rate of assault, you know, from touching, from naked men, from rape, which we had one happen at the Hilton in Long Beach. Uh, a couple years back, I've read the police report. Crazy. Did yeah. you know this? Well, I knew about it because Through council, yeah. council member <laughs> yeah. and her progressive prophetic self told wow. me about it years, literally years ago. And I thought, really interesting. I've never thought about that. How did I never think about it? Yeah. And thanks for bringing it up so I could at least contemplate it and see how we collectively could help. So, yeah. yeah. In the hospital. And so it's, you know, a lot of people, housekeepers, community members that came to the city council and said, we want you to do something about it. And they drafted up a policy that included panic buttons, but other worker safety issues and put it all together. And unfortunately, we have nine council members, five of them voted against it, which is heartbreaking. But there's a lot of devils in the details piece. Um, and it's a lot of politics, right? And politics gets in the way of doing what's right sometimes. 
So what happened was they decided to put it on the ballot, right? And so this is how you're talking about whether it's a water tax and everything <coughs> else that changes. But they went and they spent a million dollars to go knock door to door and to educate voters. And when you the say issue. they, who's they? It's Unite Here okay. um, and community groups like Los Angeles Alliance for a New Economy. And there's about 12 Long Beach uh, nonprofits that okay. participated as well. And so they go and they do all the hard work and they draft it and they get it passed. So it passed with, I think, 60 percent or something like that of the vote. But once it's law, if you go to the ballot, that's law. You right. can't change it. And so one of the things was square footage, that how many feet should a housekeeper have to clean? And that's something that might change with time. You know, like you think right. about there are different tools to clean with. There's different standards that might be put in place. And so to ever change that ordinance they have to go back to the voters wow, and raise another million dollars and have a whole another year and a half conversation about it. Whereas if we pass it at the local level, you know, we on, and I mean, local city level, it's very easy for cities to be nimble, to be creative and to go back and make changes and adjust their ordinances. So wow. it's kind of fascinating to think about at the local level versus state level. It is. Yeah. So how can someone in the city, uh, just like a community member get involved and make an impact? Yeah, there, there are lots of ways. We've got, you know, I've got 14 neighborhood associations in my district alone, and that doesn't include businesses. And so some of them, they self-organize and they meet on a monthly basis and they talk about whether it's trees that need to be trimmed, potholes that need to be filled. So that's one level. And that's what I call like, you know, apple pie mm. kind of things. You mm. want to make sure your neighborhoods are safe and clean and have good lighting. And those are kind of your neighborhood organized groups. Then there's another social justice level, whether it's clean water. So Measure W, we just passed in uh, L.A. County, and that was done by nonprofit groups in the county that kind of put that together. I always tell people, reach out to your city council member, your mayor, whoever, and say, hey, I'm interested in clean air or I'm interested in child care. Can you help me get involved? And we are very versed in the organizations. So I'm con I see my role as council member not only is passing a budget, paving streets, passing ordinances, but really being that middle person to connect people. Because mm. especially when you have somebody new move into a city, they don't know what to do, where to go, who's there. And you really can be that person that sits people down. I mean, Charles, how many people have I introduced you to? And you uh, barely come countless. to Long Beach, yeah, <laughs> you know, and like mm -hmm. you've got great business plans with yeah. some of them. And it's that's where the magic happens is really having people meet each other. And that that to me was one one of the incredible things about you, but also I'd say Long Beach as a whole. I feel that the the council district as a whole, the council members as a whole, were very receptive to small business and small business <clears throat> ideas, which is actually a question I wanted to ask you, a subsequent question, uh, not to say Los Angeles negatively, but some people say they have a lot of difficulty communicating yeah. with our Los Angeles council members. Mm -hmm. And I can conceive and understand theoretically why that would be a problem. They're governing large districts. Yeah. But I think there's a frustration where people don't even know where to start and they'll call the council district and they will never get a return call yeah. or they'll email and they'll never get a return email and they give up. Yeah. And I think that's frustrating and, and undemocratic. Mm -hmm. So how yeah. would someone that has sat there and said, I've called nine times, yeah. I've emailed multiple times, would you advise go to a neighborhood council meeting? Yeah. Go and that would be the, the practical approach. Yeah, and definitely, I mean, even, you know, LA city council districts are huge. Yeah. And mm -hmm. we definitely have some emails that slip through our cracks, not many. You know, I, I typically hear about most of them. And so I always say show up to a meeting, whether it's a city council meeting, and you can sidebar with me afterwards. I yeah. kind of walk around the audience, uh, show up to a neighborhood association meeting. But those are good ways to get involved. And sometimes it's, you know, I mean, people hit me up on Facebook all the time. Right. Social media all the time. And I don't mean to be rude. I'm always like, I love this. It's great that you reached out. Call my office if you don't hear back, you know, to schedule something or have a deeper conversation. Because I kind of, there's so many, so many people that outreach to you. I could spend all day responding. Right. You know, and so LA has to be the same. Guys, you're on the, with the Future of Law and Charles Liu and Jenna Benamy and Councilwoman Janine Pierce. Uh, today's episode is on local politics. Um, please check us out on Instagram at the Charles Liu, the Jenna Ben, and the Future of Law. Janine, what's your Insta? It is D2Pierce, P-E-A-R-C-E.
Okay, awesome. We'll be sure to follow and tag you and get some conversations going. I love that. Yeah. At D2 Pierce. Yeah. Awesome. At D2 Pierce. Yeah. yeah. Everybody should follow. It's, um, again, I've mentioned it, but it is really enlightening, progressive, and cutting-edge politics. So check check out council member. Thanks, guys. Yeah. She just took a swig of her Azunia tequila. That's why she was a little delayed in her response, but I could tell she enjoyed it. It's <laughs> very yummy. It's, it's really like good. caramel. It is. Yeah. That's, so that's really funny you mentioned that. So that's actually one of the distinct tasting notes. So you have, have a, a good sophisticated palate. palate. I told Apparently. you I had a good palate. <laughs> <laughs> Apparently, hypothetically, if we had been to the brewery, she, uh, the council member also has a sophisticated beer palate. Hypothetically. I do. Yeah, hypothetically. Yeah. I do. <laughs> So, yeah, so caramel notes are, are very strong there notes. It's organic tequila, and it's aged in oak barrels. So that's actually where that's that caramel comes through. Yeah. 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 Love. Nicely done. Thanks for sharing. Yeah. So, council member, I know we have a couple other questions, yeah. but <clears throat> one of the questions I have is, what is next for you? Where where do we go from here? And I know it's a big question, and but I know. That wasn't on the list. I know. Yeah. <laughs> Like we sometimes we got to wing it a little bit. And, yeah, the anxiety that comes with producing this show, I just I you do a tell fantastic you. job, Jenna. <laughs> but sometimes really not on the list is good. Oh, and I that, love not on the list. Yeah, it's and great. I can. Here's a good thing. I can always go off list and, and oh, yeah. count on Jenna to be like, bring, bring it, it back. back. Bring yeah. it back. Bring I can back. go off list. That's yeah, fine. So we go off list. So um, you you won, and now you have a reelection in next March. Next March. Yeah. So you actually, and that's another thing about local politics that actually politics as a whole, which was very interesting to me. So the the candidates run, and then very very quickly after they run, they have to start thinking about reelection. Mm. Yeah. So, so yeah. you laughed about well, it, but maybe, I laugh because I've yeah. been running since I got an office. Right. Exactly. It's like yeah. you make a lot of promises. Right. And every promise I made, particularly the ones that had like specific numbers, like I'm going to deliver a hundred parking spots, you get real anxious about, and so you just feel like you're still in campaign mode to deliver. So it's a secret not to make any numeric promises. I think so okay. because bureaucracy is a pain. Because <laughs> well, they come, well, they someone constituents. Oh, absolutely. Um, I mean, uh, I got hounded all the time, and it's like I'm not in charge of the bureaucracy. I'm not right. the city manager. Right. Um, and so while I found my hundred spots that I committed to, it takes so long to right. get the city to come out and I'm like it's just a can of paint right. <laughs> you know, like a, I'm gonna go take a can of paint and do it myself did you paint any parking stripes I didn't but oh, I threatened okay. and that's what got it done I like I, that. and I I took a picture of a can of paint sent it to public works and I was like I I'm gonna do it if no. it's not done <laughs> I love that I want a picture of you painting the stripes I want one too I, I want one too but I would say you know and I went through a difficult time you know, I got a my election was the most expensive city council race. I represent 80% of the port. I represent downtown. Our, I have a seven-year life expectancy difference in between 10th Street and my downtown. Wow. And so I really stepped in and tried to govern for those that didn't feel like they had a voice for the years before. And, sure. and a lot of them played a key role and did have a voice, but finding that balance. Then I went into a recall where, because of my support for hotels, they spent a ton of money to try to recall me. So I had my 100 days that felt like an election because I had to deliver in 100 days. Mm -hmm. Then I went into recall mode for a year. And so I'm just now trying to have a year of not thinking about campaigns. So you've not, truly been campaigning your entire duration. <laughs> seriously have. But I've really just taking the year right now to just continue to focus on delivering progress for folks. And on March 1, we are doing our state of the district. And so typically council offices don't always do a state of the district. But we felt like it, we have accomplished a lot, particularly given everything that my district has been through, and we really wanted to celebrate it. So a number of policies, short-term rentals, uh, community choice aggregation, which is around where you choose your energy from, which is City of Long Beach didn't want to touch. And we mm -hmm. spent a year working with staff to finally get them on board with it. Hotel safety policies, paving roads, all of these things. And so we just want to celebrate. So what's next for me is that I will run again, but right now I'm just focused on governing, making sure that all the T's are crossed, the I's are dotted. We in Long Beach can run for three terms if we want. Oh, I didn't know that. We passed that on the ballot last year. Okay. So before that, you could run as a write-in. And so we have seen that, but you could run indefinitely as a write-in. Oh, wow. You need new ideas. You know, I think after 12 years, you need to have somebody new, whether they've delivered well for you or not. Right. That energy of of knowing that you've got you've to step up and prove to your constituents that you're doing right by them and by their tax dollars. Right. So, Yeah. I haven't thought past past council. 
I know I get I get the uh, the nudge here and there, but sure. it's just nice to just focus on on the neighborhoods right now. On on the local politics. Yeah, yeah. And I've always thought, and I've always told people, and I truly do believe that Long Beach is this this jewel. It's halfway between yeah, it's halfway between Los Angeles and Orange County. Mm-hmm. It's the second biggest port in the country, I believe. Yep. Uh, major airport. Mm-hmm. Uh, beautiful city, yeah. and it's so funny because forever I felt that, especially the Los Angeles population, slept on Long Beach. Yeah, and even Orange County, but Orange County is their own little world. They kind of sleep on everything <laughs> in some ways. But I definitely felt that us Angelinos slept on Long Beach, and fortunately now I'm seeing that a reversal that people mm-hmm. are sitting talking about Long Beach. Good you should be talking about Long Beach. I, I agree. It's popping it, over here. It's popping. It's a great it's city. It's a great city. So, We're going to get a street named after Charlie. I'm putting it on the record. Are we? I like it. As soon as we get one after Snoop, we got you. Oh, <laughs> are we getting one after Snoop? Maybe. We'll see. We're working on it. Mm, I like that. <laughs> but Potential you, collabs, yeah. yeah. You said Jewel. And so- yeah. For March 1st, we're doing our State of the District, but we have this beautiful, gorgeous library that really encompasses the new Long Beach that we have. I have eight cranes up in my downtown Which right now. Which is so cool. It's so We awesome. took some pics, and we're actually going to post them on our Insta and tag you uh, awesome. of the progress because we got that tour. Oh, yeah, that's yeah. right. You took the tour of the library. And the library is gorgeous. It's gorgeous, and it looks like a jewel box. It does, and and this goes back to kind of what I was saying with Long Beach as a whole. I, as a lawyer, I've been at the Long Beach Courthouse a couple of times. Right. And when I tell people about the Long Beach Courthouse, I say this is truly the most beautiful courthouse that I've seen in the state. It's gorgeous. It's It looks like you've walked onto the set of Gattaca or something, yeah, right? Yeah, the mean, tall ceilings massive and the lights. ceilings and lights and this digital screen. And yeah. it's just, uh, it's so cool. So to see the Jewel Box Library and to yeah. see the new city hall and to yeah. see everything that's going into Long Beach, I think it's very exciting because I think myself and a lot of others have looked at Long Beach and said, how can it not be a bigger, more influential, more, you know, for lack of a better way to put it, powerful, um, forward or thought leading city. And I feel like it's really coming in its own. It's really Mm -hmm. stepped into that. I think Mayor Garcia has had vision um, and What's made all the development possible was in 2010, we passed something called the downtown plan that basically took away a lot of roadblocks for development. Okay. And I was a community member. I was opposed to doing it the way it was done. And so now we are at a place where we've got development. We've got more people and investors coming to the city, but we still have a housing crisis. We still have poverty. We still have areas of the city that need more attention. So what are we going to, the next phase for us, particularly in my district is what are we going to do to protect the jewels, which are the residents right. that really make our city shine, right. right? Those are the people that really put in, you look at 4th Street where we met years ago. I don't know. Yeah. I'm not sure if you've been there since I've been in office. But I have. I was there. There was a new little restaurant coffee shop on mm-hmm. the corner. Yeah. Where my campaign pointed. office yeah. was. Yeah. So, <laughs> yeah. So I went by and I actually went in and bought yeah. a coffee. and. But it's totally around. changed. Totally. And that's because of the business owners there. Very cool. Put their heart forward. And so what are we doing to make sure that we don't lose those guys yeah. while also bringing in development? Right. So, which is always a balance. It's right? always a balance. So, community benefit agreements, responsible development policies. The Staples Center was done with a community benefit agreement that said, "Come in, build it, have local jobs, have it be lead certified, make sure we have childcare on site. Yeah. Basic things that help people have a quality of life that's a, that's above what they're currently experiencing. Yeah. So that's kind of the next line that we have to walk and figure out how do we really solidify that. So it's not one off like our community benefit is you gave us three parking spots. Right. And you, you mentioned uh, Mayor Garcia. Mm-hmm. Uh, that's Dr. Robert Garcia. Dr. Robert Garcia. And um, <laughs> and he's incredible. That's your like buddy. We, yeah. We have the fortune to know him <laughs> yeah. and uh, to have met with him and to have spent a little time and, and truly talking about a progressive entrepreneurial minded mm-hmm. individual who understands both city politics and politics as a whole, but also appreciate small business and yeah. everything and encapsulates all that in a, a single individual. Mm-hmm. Um, so we're very blessed to have him in Long Beach. Yeah, incredible, absolutely. Incredible, incredible individual. Changer. Yeah. Game changer. Game changer. Yeah. And young and, and motivated yeah. and driven. And yeah. so super excited about that. Um, so Long Beach. Yeah. We're, so Long Beach. Yeah. 
So we've got fun stuff coming up. Yeah, you really do. So tell us a couple of the other things. So you've got the library, which is is going to be a, a it's going to be something that people will actually come to the city just to see, I think, after the tour. I think so, too. Yeah. And I, what else? What else is going on? In well, actually, sitting in your recording studio, I am excited to say in our library, we're going to have a recording studio. And so, so cool. trying to make sure we connect as many youth with that opportunity to try to get into jobs like radio, because it's not dying. We still have awesome radio shows. Yeah. Um, like this one. Like this one. Hey. <laughs> hey. So we've got in March, we've got a lot of great things coming on. One is, you know, we have the 100 years from the women's vote. And so we're going to be putting forward 100 events in the city of Long Beach to just celebrate women and the power that they have and try to build on that. We've got some renter issues coming up. um, But the thing I'm most excited about is the responsible development and community choice aggregation, which is really going to give Long Beach, a city of half a million people who've kind of struggled with their electricity, who want to be green. We've got... SB 100, which basically says that in 2045, we want to be, you know, off of all the dirty electricity. Right. All renewable energy by 2045. So for Long Beach to play a role in that, we need to give that choice to our residents to be able to say, we want 40% to come from wind. We want 30% to come from solar. And that has happened throughout California. And when we know that we put those measures into place, particularly in a city that has a port as large as ours, that has Cal State Long Beach, that has Mm. LBCC, we could really put a dent in our global warming crisis that we have right now. And it's complicated. And so sometimes you have the bureaucracy side of cities say, that's too too complicated, you know, and there are too many at-risk factors that we want to play here. But really taking a measured approach for the last two years to try to educate, unpack it, and when we get to the point, I think in about four months where we actually take a vote to move forward on it, we're doing our the first steps right now. Game changer for the city of Long Beach. For Southern okay. California, the only other place in Southern California is San Diego, and they just did it two months ago. So we're right behind San yeah. Diego. Yeah. So something you're passionate about is the power of women sharing stories. I wanted to talk to you more about this since you're such a huge advocate, and then we can get into the LGBTQ plus community. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, the power of story. So my background outside of what I shared with you earlier was I got involved with um, SEIU, which is Service Internationals Union, in 2008. And what I learned when I was with them doing an internship program was the power of story. You knock on somebody's door and you share a little bit about yourself and then you ask them to share. And people aren't used to talking about themselves. Mm. You know, they often have an aha moment when they, Mm. when you ask them a little bit of a tougher question, oh, you moved out of your mom's house? What was that like for you? What did it feel like physically for you to make that decision? You know, and what, what, what courage did it take for you to do that? And where'd you go next? And people get to sit into their power because a lot of times we feel powerless, you know, and especially folks that are struggling to put food on the table when I was in Chicago, one of the houses I went into, and this was a game changer for me because I was going to go to grad school. You know, mm, I'd, finally, I'd finally, for urban planning, mm. glad I didn't. Um, mm. But one of those moments where you're in somebody's living room and they have a pallet of ramen noodles yeah, and they've got little roaches scattering around and they've mm. got a mattress on the floor and the smell, if anybody has been in a house that has a roach infestation, there's a smell. And I walked in that house and it's like, it brought me back to when I was 12 and it just hit me in the face. Like, Oh my gosh, you know, and the power of stories being able for me to sit down with that woman and to share my story and to get her to kind of like snap out of her reality for a minute Mm. and to recognize her power. And she went into her boss the next day, you know, and, and demanded the raise that she deserved. She was getting paid under minimum wage, you know, and from our hour and a half conversation of sharing our stories and how we got there and what held us back and what pushes us forward and for her to see herself as a leader for her kids and for her coworkers. So storytelling is not, it's not new, you know? I mean, you, you think about storytelling, that's what makes people connect. That's when you, some thread of what somebody else said has resonated with you. Mm. So is it, is the magic in the storytelling or is it in the dialogue that occurs and maybe the experience that someone cares enough to give you their time to listen? It's, it's part of giving time to listen, but it's part of you listening to yourself. Mm. You know, when you tell your own story and I did, I told my own story when I ran for office and it didn't resonate with me because I just told it, told it, told it until I slowed down enough and had a conversation about it. 
mm. you know, well, where somebody like asked me questions. Almost like a conversation with yourself. Too. Yeah. Because you probably never thought about your own story. Yeah. Yeah. So I always, mm-hmm. I encourage everybody to share their stories. And so to filter into the LGBT community, right? Mm. Proposition or what was it? Eight, right? That took away yeah. the right of gay marriage. Mm. We didn't have LGBTQ people knocking on doors. We just assumed people were with us, right? Mm. But after the fact, when we went and knocked on doors and you have somebody that's part of the gay community knock on someone who's African-American in North Long Beach that didn't vote for it, knock on their door and say, hey, I'm just like you. You know, I went to that school over there Mm. and this is what I've struggled with, feeling out of place and da-da-da-da-da. You change people's minds when you share your story with them. They can, we all can identify with struggle. I mean, Charles, you're you're here. Yeah. Have you ever had a moment of struggle? About 20 minutes ago. (laughs) (laughs) Parking a job, parking here. But no, right. I mean, look, yeah, it's a small business owner every single day. I mean, I just did a speech and uh, it was funny because you can have a talk on successes and no one really cares. Mm -hmm. Right. And, And it's true. Like, I don't. I don't ever go anywhere and get moved by someone telling me how well how they've they done. Right? Yeah. You get bored, yeah. you tune out. But as soon as I started talking about the things that I've been through that would be um, objectively observed as a struggle, as mm-hmm. an obstacle, as something to overcome, yeah. you you can literally look at the audience and you can see the audience turn their head and yeah. their eyes light up yeah. because they say, oh, you, you went you know, you had a, a near bankruptcy moment. Yeah. You had a point in time where you didn't know how to pay your bills. You had a point where you lost sleep. And that's, yeah. it's in those moments. And I think you said it very well, but I think it's in those moments and sharing those moments that we can all find common ground. Yeah. Because we can all talk about how great we are. And the problem is, I think for the most part, we are all much more comfortable sharing how good everything is. And yeah. then everybody goes home and has no one to talk about their struggles and their well, obstacles. We're told to put a smiley face on, right? right. Yes. I mean, when I worked at Starbucks as a shift supervisor, the GM would always say, just smile and fake yeah. it. Smile and fake it. And then you do that so much, you fake it to yourself. Yeah. Do you think that helped? I mean, with your, I guess, two-part two question. Did this um, frail, frailty, for, yeah. for lack of a better yeah. way to put it, but I, I like... A better way to put it maybe is openness and accepting of human limitations and and things that we all go through and we all struggle. Did that help with your election? Do you think people looked at you as a real human being and said, oh, look, here's this isn't this perfect hair, perfect Mm -hmm. candidate, perfect person, uh, six foot two white male. That that is all not me. Yeah, (laughs) Yeah. definitely don't have perfect hair. (laughs) But do you know what I mean? It's pretty good. good. Your hair is pretty good. But was this something that you think you were more capable of associating with people? Yeah, yeah, and I think that that's why also the other side, quote unquote, didn't think I could do it. Right. You know, I mean, there was somebody that was running for a year before me, and he everybody was like, "Well, he's got it." Right. So the establishment in the city didn't back me up then. You know, and I think being able to be real with people connects with them and they might not agree with my position on something like affordable housing, but I get a lot of times you might not be aligned with my politics, but I trust you because you're honest and you always tell me where you're at. Right. You know, and so I think that that concept of just being real and transparent with people is so important to build trust. And there's nobody that people like to trust less than an elected official. I completely agree. You know, I mean, we are supposed to be hiding everything, non-transparent. And so I think that that threw people. And I think, and and with that being said, we all sit knowing that, but we still want to hear the elected official tell us how perfect they are. Right. So we want to hear how perfect you are. And then what we collectively want to do is go point out how imperfect you are. How imperfect, yeah. Which is kind of an interesting entire situation. Yeah, and if you don't mind, I mean, she asked a question about, Jenna, you asked me about sharing personal story. Yeah. And so I did go through a struggle in the last year, right, with the recall. And it was around a very personal situation that happened to me. I was in an abusive situation. And for all things that I've talked about suicide with my mom and everything through the years, I never thought I would be suicidal. I got suicidal while an elected official, you know, and felt completely and utterly trapped, not able to talk, not able to share my daily existence and pain with anybody Hmm. for fear that people would use it against me. Right. 
when I finally, and as I was saying, Jenna, the March last year, yeah, the Women's March last year was groundbreaking for me because planning that, I had a group of women at my house. We had a picnic and mm. I was struggling with this person and what I was going to do and the stalking and the harassment. I've changed my numbers four times. It was wow. really bad. And we said, let's get another, let's, instead of doing vans, let's do buses this time to the march. And the week before the Friday before the march, I went down to the courthouse and I did my restraining order. And I had tried to do that four times before and couldn't come up with the courage because restraining orders are public. Mm. And so all of a sudden the press would be able to know that I had this situation and I'd have to talk about it. And further yeah. showing chinks in your arm. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, showing again that not only am I not perfect, but my life was really screwy at the right. time, right. but still feeling like I could govern because I, I had a great staff. Maybe govern better. Yeah. And yeah. now I feel like that's been my leaping off point because I had to share my story. Not only did I do the restraining order, but two months later, I did a press conference where I shared everything. And I right. just said, and that, I've, my body physically, you know, sometimes you're like, oh, it feels like a weight's off your shoulder my whole body felt like I was elevated, you know, right. and it was life changing for me. And so from that, sharing my story publicly, which I had been terrified of doing for 18 months prior, was the only thing that got me out of the situation. It wasn't the law. Right. It wasn't just doing a restraining order. The only thing that got my head out of that terrible place was sharing my story. And, and being honest and transparent with my trauma that I had experienced. Right. And and first, I, I speak for myself and Janet for saying thanks for sharing that. That's yeah. obviously uh, an extremely emotional thing. Yeah. And I can yeah. even feel it sitting three feet yeah. away from yeah. you, which is so thank you. And, I, and I, I'm sure our listeners are going to hear it and say, wow, that's incredible and cur courageous and, and just an amazing thing. And it kind of brings me to a thought that I've, I've had a long time. Um, and it seems to me so obvious that that our elected officials, they're, they're human. All, we're all human. Yeah. And flesh, and, yeah, water. And, and, and faulted <laughs> yeah. And, and subject to urges and inclinations yeah. and everything else. And, and I think it's so refreshing and, and I wish we would see it more. And I'm actually, I'm curious and I'm waiting for the elected official who comes out with a policy of brutal honesty. Yeah, <laughs> seriously, is, right. So mm. I've thought about this before. I want the elected <laughs> official to come out when people yeah. say, you know, how was your weekend? And yeah. say, you know, well, I drank way too much. I don't remember <laughs> right. a big chunk of it, but, you know, it was a weekend. And on Monday I was back to doing what yeah, I was yeah. doing. Like, yeah. Because I think there would be a, an area of appreciation from the, the general population mm -hmm. that would say, okay, cool. This lady, this yeah. gentleman is is one of us yeah. and is not trying to say they're not one of us. Right. And I think that's so crucial. And I think it's actually something you do a great job of. Thank you do you. a great job of saying. I don't saying, know how to, I don't know how not. not be. Yeah. And I get it a lot. Like yeah. you could share less about your life. Right. You could be a little mm. bit more. What did we say when we were taking the photos? A little bit more stately. Right. You know, <laughs> and so I'm, I'm learning how to be more stately. You were stately. While, sh while sharing my personal story. But it is. And I think that residents feel like they need to be able to access you. Yeah. And when you have that wall yeah. up because you're terrified of what they might say or judge you for, you are now giving them something to judge you for. Right. Because now you're not transparent. Right. But but this brutal honesty concept yeah. that I'm waiting for from yeah, my I'm imaginary it. politician. I'm on it. I mean, <laughs> I don't do it behind the dais, but I do it in every single meeting. <laughs> but I'm waiting for this brutal honesty policy because when this politician, this fictitious politician, gets up and says, "Here's all the things I effed up," yeah, and yeah. and no one can come out and say, "Hey, we dug this up yeah. on you," and he says. Yeah, I talked about that two weeks ago. I tweeted it. Go, yeah. go check your Twitter. Yeah, exactly. I think it would be so enlightening and refreshing. Yeah. And, and I think it would also take this, this impetus or this perceived impetus that our politicians should be perfect, yeah. which always makes me think about the, our, our president and our new president, thinking, right? Yeah. Who, if you really think about it, there were so many things came out prior to his election mm -hmm. that if they'd come out on any other president would have precluded and, yeah. and disabled their mm -hmm. run for presidency. Yeah. And, and not to say his policy was one of brutal honesty, because I think there was definitely some, yeah, no grabbing people by their, exactly. not, you know, exactly. honesty. It's, right. <laughs> yeah. or, or at least he, what he said was honest, but his, um, ignorance or, right. or, 
uh, inability to address it and, and how wrong it was, was, right. you know, without getting too political. Right, right, right. Yeah, awful. <laughs> right. right? But, but he definitely came out and said things that no other politician had said in the mm-hmm. past and showed that the people still figured out how to, or, well, I would say the people, and then I would correct myself, but no, the population <laughs> did. Right. They connected with him enough to elect him as yeah. a president. Yeah. When people always say they like to have a president that they can have a beer with. Right. You know, but don't have too many because now you're the bad guy, right, you know. Right. But I think that he was that for for middle America and I think it's coming after Barack. I mean, President Obama for me, I remember every moment of that election night. You know, right. every hair that lifted from my my yeah. arm, I remember it. It was Amazing. Yeah, I do too. I remember running out the next morning yeah. and I bought every newspaper. Every newspaper, the newspaper yeah. stand. I have yeah. stacks of newspapers. <laughs> that, Why? Because I, I really... Because you can hold a piece of well, history. You can hold yeah. a piece I, of I have history. newspapers too. Yeah. Yeah, I have every one because yeah. you know what I thought? I thought that this was going to be this, um, this entrance into this not even golden age of politics. I really thought this was this golden age of, of global awareness and global Mm -hmm. family and global welcoming and acceptance of people and individual and other countries. And, and then eight years later, you see that there's a lot, there was a big part of the population that felt left out. Yeah. You know, and it's part of the country that might not have anybody African-American in their city, you know, and racism Mm -hmm. is still there and we do still have slavery. You know, I mean, you talk about how many kids, boys and men of color that are in jail compared to white kids, you know, and it's, I'm not saying anybody should be in jail and let's applaud what's happening at the County right now because they decided not to do a County jail yeah. and to do a mental health facility. Which instead. is incredible. Yeah. Totally incredible. Yeah. But it, it is, I mean, there, there are the way that the democratic and the Republican parties work is that it's us or them. Yeah. And it's heartbreaking because I'm not an us or a them, right. You know, and you're not an us or a them. No, I, I we talked about this before the show, this, this bipartisan system seems it's so flawed yeah. and it seems so flawed on both parts, parties. Yeah. And, um, it seems archaic mm-hmm. and, and just not It doesn't capable. allow us to really have the best policies are in that gray area. Well, there's you know? no, there's no capability of evolution right. or, or development of this two party system, which anything else in the world that we looked at that, that didn't have this growth potential, we would mm-hmm. kill it and say, this can't move forward. Something has to be able to evolve. But right. this one, we all draw lines and, and feel comfortable to jump into one of these two pools. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, I mean, I, as I mentioned, I'm not a lifelong Democrat, Yeah, you know, and that that was a big slap down for me because heaven forbid, but my, the democratic values are in my heart. You know, I care about that. So I really want to share with the listeners um, what people can expect to see in Long Beach. You can see a lot of change. You can see a lot of uh, small businesses. You can see a lot of growth. But right now, what we're most excited about, I think, is our library. And so we are trying to fundraise for the inside of our library, Mm -hmm. which is really exciting because we, our library is one of the few that also offers adults um, uh, high school diplomas. So last year, we had 35 adults get their high school diploma through our main library. Is that a GED? No. High school diploma. That's so cool. Okay, so there's a difference. There's a difference. A GED is something you go and you can have a couple of months and now you can say you passed the test. Hmm. But a high school diploma is you go through the the coursework and everything like that. And you can hang it on your wall. You can hang it on your wall. That's so cool. Yeah. Yeah, And do other cities do that or is that... I, there are other cities that do it, but I think we're one of the few. Yeah. Yeah, And I hadn't heard of it either. And so this, when we talk about the library of, of the future... That's why I'm so excited about this main library and I kind of won't stop talking about it because not only do we have that, we have a recording studio. We had in the last year, I forget, 22,000 families got to come in and have like family consulting time together, free. You know, this is where we talk, when we talk about mental health, we talk about trauma, we talk about homeless populations, college graduates, all of those will be coming into our main library to get services and to build upon the tools that they already have. And it really is a great place to see the entire diversity of our city. So truly, so it's interesting because when we went at a library tour and we met the library director, Mm -hmm. but it was funny because when I met with her, we we had talked about how the libraries had become um, almost defunct, Mm -hmm. right? They'd become these things that... Where I used to tell people I'd go to the library, they'd look at me like I was crazy. Yeah. And they'd say, what, do you, what on earth are you going to the library for? Yeah. 
And I always went because growing up in Scotland, like it was so cold nine months out of the year that mm-hmm. we basically got to go from house to house and that was it. So one of our big outings was to go to the library where you could sit and read all day and yeah. it was warm and comfortable. So the library has this very, uh, very special place in my heart. And when I spoke with her, I, I saw the same feeling from her about mm-hmm. the library having this very, very special place. And then, but what I really liked was the evolution of the library. So yeah. now you've got this truly this technological center. And 3D printing, everything. Yeah, everything, yeah. 3D printing, studio, yeah. family, conference areas, computer yeah. areas, every single thing that you would think is a, a technological marvel. But then the, the fundamental uh, original idea, which is a gathering place and dissemination of ideas. Right. And, and Information, go in, check out your book. Maybe yeah. you do a kid's reading club. And so I think it has a special place with people our age that – grew up in them, yeah, you know? And so it's been frustrating through the conversation of like, you're building a new library. Like, why, why are you building yeah. a new library? Libraries are of the past. That, we had yeah. a million people in our main library last year and our main library in Long Beach looks like a bunker. It did. It's pretty yeah. bad. Yeah. And so this one is, you can see all the way through it. It's LED certified. It's looped for uh, all the translation and everything. And so it really is going to be a place that changes people's lives. And I don't want anybody to forget that there's going to be a kid out there that doesn't have a computer at home. There's somebody that's homeless that is going to walk through those doors looking for resources that it's going to happen in there. Yeah, it'll change their life. It's going to change their life. So cool. And it's just really exciting to have that there. So, all right. Awesome. I can't wait to see this library actually come to fruition. Thank you so much for joining us today, Janine, Councilwoman Pierce. And we could talk to you forever. I know. I know. I it's, know. So, it's so exciting. I mean, this state and city and local politics. And I, I think that the, the final message is just get involved. Get involved. So. There's something out there for everybody to do. And cities thrive based on your engagement. You right. know, as an elected official, there's nothing that I do by myself. It takes my community members, it takes my residents, my small business owners reaching out. And most of the ideas I've passed through on council, which we've passed more policies than anybody else has done in their first term, has been because people come to me and say, hey, what about changing a conditional use permit process and making that more accessible? That came from residents. So Mm -hmm. really, no matter what city you live in, don't forget the power that you have, because sometimes we like to complain. Right. I can't believe the city didn't think about this. Well... Bureaucracy. You you did. You did. So come and tell us. Don't keep it to yourself. Such a good message. (laughs) Thank you guys so very much for being awesome and having having me. Thank you so much. Thank you. Guys, you're back on with Charles Liu and Jenna Benemy on the future of law. Today's episode is on local politics with Councilwoman Janine Pierce. She was awesome, right? So good. And such, like I said, I mentioned a couple of times, just such a progressive thinker, which is so cool. And so in line with what we're talking about here, the future of law and the future of dot, dot, dot. Because yeah. uh, politics, people just don't understand how it works, myself included. When minimum wage went up, I didn't even realize till I looked at payroll on one of our restaurants and I said, hey, why did payroll increase? And one of the managers said, because minimum wage went up. And I said, how did that happen? And someone looked at me like I was kind of crazy and mm. said, well, the city voted on it. And yeah. I was like, oh yeah, so I must have slept through that. And that was actually one of my realizations and, and the council member mentioned that is, is get involved. And that was one of the wake up calls because we all like to sit around and not get too not get too excited about anything until it hits our bottom line, whatever our bottom line happens to be. Right. So my bottom line happened to be you employ hundreds of people 
and that is a direct hit to your bottom line and directly materially affecting uh, the profitability of businesses. So all of a sudden, I had my eyes open. So I actually wanted to talk to you about this interesting contraption you mentioned. It's like a meat defroster that apparently is supposed to save all kinds of money. And I know, you know, you're in the restaurant industry. Meat defroster. Meat defroster. So really incredible. Brought to me by a gentleman named Dylan Wolf. He basically put together an igloo cooler. The igloo cooler, uh, you put the meat in it and it circulates the water very much like a fish pump in a, an aquarium. And it heats the water to a certain degree where there's no FDA issues with the formation of bacteria mm. or anything else. And it will take the standard way where we used to dump a piece of meat in a three-compartment sink and run water on it for hours and hours and hours. And now you save literally hundreds of gallons of water, hundreds of dollars, and you have a much more um, environmentally safe, uh, bacterial-free environment to thaw meat. So we're really, really excited. And it does it faster, right? And it does it super fast because it recirculates warm water instead of just the water hitting one point in the item that you're trying to defrost. Got it. Very cool. Okay. Very cool. Can't wait to check it out, of course, for vegetarian products for me. Exactly. Right, right. Um, So I want to hear about your Mexico trip. I actually didn't get the full recap. So cool. So went to Mexico City, which if people, listeners haven't been, you have to go. It is such an incredible testament to um, the Mexican population and the country as a whole. And you see architecture and you see history and you see legacy and you see uh, pride in products and pride in food and pride in Mezcal, which is one of the reasons I was Mm. down there was to try an incredible product called Mezcal 33, which uh, you will shortly be seeing in the United States. And for those that don't know the difference between mezcal and tequila, uh, there are some considerable differences, everything from where it's produced, uh, the the regions of Mexico that it's produced, Mm. to the actual manner in which the agave is roasted. But they're both agave-produced liquors. Awesome. Well... That brings us to the end of our show. Thank you so much for tuning in to The Future of Law with Charles Liu and Jenna Benemy. Today's episode was on local politics with Councilwoman Janine Pierce. If you're not already following us, check us out on Instagram at the Charles Liu, the Jenna Ben, and The Future of Law. And uh, we look forward to checking back in with you guys next week. Thanks so much for tuning in. Thanks, fam.